What is up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast. I forgot what episode this is. <laughs> uh, 39. 39. Okay. Um, the crew's here. Richard, how's it going? Hey, what's up, guys? Seth, how's it going, buddy? Going good, guys. All right. So the docket for this episode, we are just going to get right to it. We have uh, SCG Standard Open Atlanta, so we're going to talk about the the standard portion mainly of that uh, that event. We got some fish mail, some financial talk, um, some moto talk, and yeah, that that I think that about wraps up what we want to talk about this week. Uh, wanted to talk actually a little bit about. Um, we're going to hint at the modern section, the IQ. I know not a lot of people are really focused on legacy and modern, but um, we're going to get to it. But Jess or allies back to back weeks of missing and or just barely missing top eight and then hitting the top eight uh, last week. So wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. So um, why don't we get to it? What did you guys think of SEG Atlanta? Richard. Uh, I've missed Siege Rhino. I, I don't. I don't know why. It's just not right. Standard without Siege Rhino. Uh, it, it was a really weird top eight. It's just all Megamorph and all Jeskai, and the lack of Siege Rhinos was actually very surprising. Apparently, you just need to streamline your deck and play Death Raptors and Den Protectors and forget Siege Rhinos altogether. Um, so I don't know if this was just a you know a br- abrupt reaction to week one or uh, if this is what the new standard will look like. Uh, but we'll see what the pros are coming up. But it was certainly a surprise to me that Siege Rhino did not make an appearance or uh, he's become endangered at the SCG Atlanta Open. Yeah, he's get, they're getting hunted uh, to extinction over there. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Uh, well, it was pretty diverse, right? We had 10 green-white Megamorph decks in the top 32 and like 10 Jeskai decks. So somewhere around like 60% of the top 32 were those two decks. Um, I guess it's fine. I don't know that I would like to see, especially this early in the format. It's a little scary to me that two decks are dominating a tournament to that extent. Like usually in the first couple of weeks, uh, people are more willing to try out different things. And sometimes you even have success with different strategies so I was a little disappointed to see two decks dominate so thoroughly. But like Richard said, the good news is Pro Tour is this weekend, and that will likely, hopefully, shake up the metagame. If the Pro Tour is just like uh, the Star City Games metagame, uh, I will be a little sad because that's what we have to look forward to for the next couple months if that's what happens. Yeah, so 27 Jeskai Black uh, decks uh, from the Day 2 metagame breakdown. Only 13 green-white Megamorph, yet we saw four in the top eight and four <laughs> Jeskai Black in the top eight. So not really too exciting of a top eight, but, I mean, I really like the Jeskai Black list. I think it's fun, but um, I think we're leaning towards what you were saying, Richard, where you get to play so many colors, you just jam, like, X-color good stuff decks and basically just take it to a tournament. Yeah, like Seth um, mentioned it in his week one article. Yeah. Like all the decks just converge, right? Since you can play the perfect mana base, people will figure <laughs> out the correct configuration and they just all converge into the same deck. So I think we're starting to see that with all the Jeskai decks converging and then 
apparently the other end is the Megamorph colors. Um, but the other sad thing is standard is really expensive, right? Now you need a playset of Ojitais, a playset of Jaces, you know, Death Mist Raptor, Den Protector. Uh, all of these decks in the top eight are $600 plus. So that that is also a worrying trend. Um, so the problem with all of these good cards is they all are mythic. So you have to jam a whole bunch of mythics and your rare lands into your deck. And now we're at $600 standard decks. Uh, people are tweeting, you know, you should just play modern instead. At least your cards don't rotate. And I'm, you know, usually people say that in jest, but it actually might be a fact here. <laughs> Yeah, nice, uh, nice converge pun. I I, I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> considering there's really only like one good converge card right now, but you know, bring to um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I was thinking more radiant flames, but um, eighty copies of Hangerback Walker. <laughs> so yeah, you said uh, it's getting expensive. Now you need uh, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, on top of that, sixty-five copies of that. So I mean. I don't know, maybe Hangerback Walker isn't going to be too inexpensive for that long, uh, considering you basically need it to play standard uh, at this point. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pro Tour is actually not that splashy and we just see, like, Atarka Red and Green-White Megamorph and Jeskai just, like, get matched up against each other all day. Um, I don't know. Maybe there could be some control deck now that we have two weeks of results under our belt and we can analyze this a little bit. So I'm I'm sure some form of blue-black control or Esper control or Grixis control or something like that or four-color control uh, can show up at the Pro Tour now that the pros can kind of look at what's getting played um, and sort of counteract that. But I, I, I don't know. feels like aggressive decks are really good at the moment with a condensed card pool. Uh, another thing is we're basically playing like cons block. That is yeah. standard is, is basically cons block standard uh, with the exception of the mana base. So it's, I think that the, the initial thought a lot of people had about battle for Zendikar, that it was underpowered is playing itself out before our eyes. Like, yes, the lands are obviously seeing play. Yes. They're obviously very good. But apart from that, you can count on one hand the the non-land cards from BFC that are even seeing any play, and a lot of the decks aren't playing any non-land Battle for Zendikar cards. Yeah, I mean, we basically just said it. I mean, it's basically Gideon uh, leading the charge for Battle for Zendikar is like the only important card from that set right now, uh, other than the lands, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I... That's basically what we're looking at. I mean, cons incorporating the lands from Battle for Zendikar and basically just playing more cons cards like Mantis Rider, uh, Death, Death Miss Raptor, Den Protector, Jamoka's Command. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I don't know really what to think of these two weeks. Is the format solved? I, I, I asked that question to both of you because people are seem, like, seem to be asking that already. So what do you think? I mean, <clears throat> we haven't had the Pro Tour yet, so it's a bit premature, right? right? All of the pros have been in their houses uh, brewing up whatever. So I think it's a bit premature to say the format is solved. Uh, 
But if after the Pro Tour everyone's playing Mega Morph and Jeskai, then we're in for a bleak couple months. Uh, but hopefully we'll see some sweet brews. Um, I know people have been playing with Aristocrats a lot. Uh, Eldrazi Aggro, like maybe there is the actual, uh, tuned list that performs well. Um, or maybe we'll just see like weird new archetypes, Undergrowth Champion, mid-range landfall decks. I don't know, but I, I really hope there is something more. Uh, I haven't actually personally played uh, any standard, so I'm not, you know, up to date on testing. Uh, and I'm just kind of waiting for the Pro Tour. And I'm sure a lot of these players are the same, right? They have their Konzatark here deck. Uh, they're waiting for the Pro Tour, and they just show up at SCG, right? So I, it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of players just haven't tried brewing yet, and they've just played their old decks, which is why we're seeing this. And it's a no-brainer that the new lands are good, so they buy them, put them in their decks, but they're not willing to invest in any other cards. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's solved. I hope it's not solved two <laughs> weeks into the format. That would be very bad. So we'll see how the Pro Tour goes. I, I have high hopes for some weird Sam Black blue, uh, brew. Yeah. Uh, in terms of playing standard, like, Richard just got into starting to play modern, okay? So, like, we need to, we need to like, bridge that gap at a later hey, time. I, I played Abs and Aggro last standard. <laughs> I played a lot of Abs and Aggro last standard. Yeah. My new regimen is I play modern and legacy in real life, and I play standard online. Okay. This is this is All the right, way I, I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, that works. Okay. Uh, have you been able to jam any modern in real life so far? Yeah, I play modern FNM every week now. Uh, oh, awesome! How are you liking it? Uh, it's okay. I really hate Path to Exile. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a bad card, like. Oh, it's one of those. It's like Serum Visions. Whenever you cast it, you just want to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I thought it was Swords to Plowshares, but it is clearly not Swords to Plowshares. No, I really not. want to get rid of that card, but um, I don't know. Mod- Modern's okay. It- it's screwing up my Legacy game. I played some Legacy online this week, and uh, I thought my Swords were paths, and I was looking to like ramp myself, and <laughs> it's really confusing <laughs> to like switch back and forth because I play essentially the same decks. I play some, like, GB concoction or, uh, you know, white-black concoction. So most of the cards are the same, so I confuse myself with lines of plays a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, we digress, but, uh, Seth, did you want to speak to the, the past two weeks at all? And before we move on, uh, just kind of some bull predictions on uh, Pro Tour. Um, yeah, I mean, the format, obviously, we can't call it solved yet. Like, like Richard said, until the Pro Tour happens, we can't really make that statement. Although, this, it does seem solvable, just because of the mana base that we've been talking about for two weeks now. Like, there's, uh, there's so little deterrent to just play all of the best cards in four or five colors, that I think this is a very solvable metagame, but, but we're not there yet. So I'm still hopeful that we'll see some spicy brews. Like usual, the best players at this SCG Open, some of which are on the Pro Tour, Tom Ross, uh, I think Chris Anderson is on the train at this point, they're not going to bring their hot Pro Tour deck for their team to the SCG Open and spoil it to the world a week ahead of time so all the other teams like know what to prepare for. So I think there's still hope that we see something new and exciting. Uh, whether or not it happens, I'm not sure, but I'm going to try to remain hopeful, uh, until the pro tour wraps up this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so before we move on, what, what do you think is a bold prediction for pro tour? 
we kind of try to do this before every pro tour. Richard? <laughs> My bold prediction would be no no new decks, but no, that's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not interesting. Uh, I'm going to say Undergrowth Champion. Okay. I think makes a splash, even though I don't really like the card. If we're going to play this like green mid-range value game, <laughs> right, this, this guy seems like a pretty good steal. Uh, Ulamog, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't. I don't know if this is a thing. Those are the only interesting cards that I see of the Mythics. So I'm gonna say Undergrowth Champion will make an appearance. Seth, well, my prediction and also my hope is that someone figures out the optimal build of three or four color Aristocrats. Like that's that's been my pet deck since before it was even a deck back like in Magic Origin Standard. And I'm really excited to see Sam Black and Tom Martell and all these players who brewed up and created the original Aristocrats deck two or three years ago back in Avacyn Restored Standard, see what they can do. There is a lot of synergy in this format. There's a lot of... A lot of the decks we've seen so far are brute force decks. You're playing all the most efficient creatures like Green White Megamorph. You're playing five colors and playing Bring Delight for eight Siege Rhinos. But there's a lot of synergy in the format, so I'm hoping that the pros will explore that and we'll see some really cool synergistic decks that you've got to read over a couple times on paper to really understand where the power comes from, like the original Aristocrats list. Well, i got bad yeah. news for you, Seth. <laughs> there's this card called Hangerback Walker. There's this card called Death Miss Raptor. So a lot of people are just packing incidental graveyard hate, like Anafenza the Foremost is just ruining our format here. <laughs> <laughs> like just slapped on Manifenza and the Aristocrats just crumbles, right? And that's the card people are looking to play. So while I want Aristocrats to succeed, I, I don't know. Anifenza is just too strong. Yeah, Anifenza really is uh, strong. I- I'm going to piggyback on the uh, Aristocrats deck. I-, I really, really like that deck, and I think there's something there with the Zooport Cutthroat. I mean, we saw in Atlanta like two... I think uh, three different Aristocrat builds made day two. Uh, None actually ended up top eighting, but I think there's definitely something there. I feel like the deck has to incorporate Rally the Ancestors somehow, uh, because that's still a card. And uh, I think the deck has to turn into more of like a, you know, that one turn combo off and then just kill you with Zulaport. It's going to be hard to sit there and trade like, a Carrier Thrall or Elvish Visionary when they're playing, like, Mantis Rider and Den- Deathmiss Raptor, Den Protector. I mean, the creatures you are playing in the Aristocrats deck are kind of really bad on their own. So that was always kind of the problem with that deck that we saw on camera numerous times, uh, is that you, you just can't... You can't pound for pound their, their curve. So you have to, I think, incorporating Rally the Ancestors or something like that where... You can kind of just go off on one turn. We'll probably be better for that deck. So, uh, other than that, I I think um, to play off what Richard said about uh, Undergrowth Champion, uh, I watched a couple uh, Japanese uh, streams uh, streamed by the uh, Haruria, however you pronounce that. I'm really sorry if I pronounced that wrong. they really like Kiora with uh, Undergrowth Champion, so maybe we see Kiora more than uh, people are, are anticipating. So that's my prediction for Pro Tour. Wait, what do they use Kiora for? Like 
giving your guy vigilance. I'm so confused. Well, yeah, the, the fact that uh, you can attack with your undergrowth champion and then just leave it up to block. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's a nightmare uh, in uh, in combat. So uh, having it attack, basically giving, yeah, pseudo-vigilance is uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, especially because they curve. So uh, that's good. All right, so enough of that. Uh, let's talk about this little moto debacle before we get into more things. Uh, so uh, I've been hearing everyone's been getting free Gideons on moto. So what happened with that? Uh, well, so one of the things Magic Online does during release events is everyone that joins a an event gets a sweet new avatar from one of the new cards. So for Battle for Zendikar, for the release events, if you played a sealed event, you were supposed to get a Gideon avatar, which you can, you know, use and it looks cool. Well, someone and the Magic Online team uh, misunderstood or made a mistake, so they set the events to give away literal Gideons, uh, <laughs> Ally of Zendikar, instead of Gideon avatar, uh, instead of the Gideon avatar. So in the course of the first few minutes of release events, Gideon dropped like 15 tickets in price. It lost half of its value. The market was flooded with copies, and everyone was in an uproar uh, because of this mistake made by the team. And they did announce later, we've had a situation sort of like this before with cube rafting, where normally cubes are phantom, so you don't keep the cards, but someone made a mistake and made them non-phantom. So you were keeping all the Black Lotuses and Moxin that you drafted in cube, and in that case, they went through and took all the cards back out of everyone's accounts. They locked people's accounts so none of their cards were tradable until they could do this. Well, in this case, they said, our bad guys, you guys get to keep your Gideons. We're not going to take them back. So that's how they tried to deal with the situation uh, in the long run. Well, at least you get to keep them. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's good. It's just... Uh, it seems like one of those mistakes that probably shouldn't be made. You have Gideon, which is... Uh, the chase mythic of your set, and you probably want that card to maintain some amount of value. So making a mistake like this, it just crushes the price. Is It's a pretty big mess up on someone's part. So it's it's a little sad that a, a big company would make an error like that. Yeah, I mean, it happens. But, I mean, take the free Gideon and just you know, go about your day. I wish we got a free Gideon uh, in our... Uh in our uh, release events. Instead, I got a planar outburst, so cool. <laughs> well, I'm really mean, too excited about that. I was just disappointed because <laughs> I was in a draft at the time, and you did not get a free Gideon for being in a draft, so I missed out on my chance. If I had joined a sealed at the same time I joined the draft, I would have gotten myself a free Gideon. So, uh, so if you uh, are feeling generous, Wizards, you could hook one up in my account during <laughs> downtime next week, because um, I w- I would have joined this. I would have joined Sealed if I had known. So, <laughs> all right. So Seth wants a free Gideon now. <laughs> I mean, if everyone else is getting one, right? <laughs> yes. Come on, guys. Give me. Where's my Gideon? Yeah, you, you gotta yeah. wait till next pre or next release event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, so moving on, uh, so some financial stuff, uh, let's get into this, Seth, uh, let's talk about, uh, some, some of the changes, uh, that we try to do on every podcast, so why don't you do that for us? All right, so 
looking, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, uh, but we're going to start yep. off with standard. So starting off with standard, the big winners this week, Dragonlord Ojitai is up 70% to 28 bucks. Den Protector up 51% to over 15 bucks. Jace creeping up again, 5% to 73.99. Dramoka's Command, a huge jump, 71% to 725. Then all the non-blue fetch lands, Bloodstained Mire, Wooded Foothills, Windswept Teeth, Wingmate Rock, up to nearly $5, and Offense of the Foremost, and Flooded Strand, bringing uh, in at the bottom of the top 10, up 4% to over 20 bucks. On the other side, we have some losers, highlighted by the cards from the Battle for Zendikar event deck. Hangerback, down 9% to 1425. Tassiger down 17%, Whisperwood 14%, then we have Kytheon, See the Unwritten, Evolutionary Leap, Days Undoing, Archangel of Tithes, Starfield of Nyx, and Demonic Pact, rounding out the losers for Standard this week. Yeah, so, uh, Ojitai's back. <laughs> so, uh, uh, there was a time where you could have been picking up some Ojitai's, but uh, turns out, for five mana, Ojitai is basically the best thing you could be doing in standard. So, who would have yeah. thought? That time was literally like five days ago. <laughs> <laughs> you could have got it for 15 bucks. Or like as low yeah. as like 13, 12. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, Ojitai is back uh, in a big way, and it's still a really good card. And that, I think this is really highlighted more that uh, Battle for Zendikar really didn't print anything worth a damn in that in that slot and basically period. I mean, really we have, we look at uh, uh, Gideon ally for Zendikar and you can play that in conjunction with Dragon Lord Ojitai. I mean, yeah, again, I, I, I reiterate, it's the best thing you can be doing for five mana right now. Well, and it, it lost a lot of competition with Stormbreath leaving the format. So now right. Ojitai is like the default five drop for the Jeskai decks when before Stormbreath was a legitimate like uh, competition for that slot. So I think that's part of it is Jeskai Black and various Jeskai decks are the number one deck in the format at the moment. And Dragonlord Ojitai all of a sudden is an important piece of that deck when it wasn't necessarily uh, before rotation. Yeah, it's also compounded by the fact that we lost a lot of good instant speed removal for this card. We lost uh, Heroes Downfall, we lost uh, Stoke the Flames, I mean, you name it. it, it it's just much more resilient against uh, at, uh, removal now. So that also has a big thing going for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. But I think there's there's answers out there. I just think people haven't gotten to them yet. Like, Utter End is a really good answer. Stasis Snare is actually a super powerful card that I've been playing with yeah. in Standard. So I think that they we just haven't got to the point of people focusing on answering Ojitai. But if it continues to dominate, I think we'll see more of those instant speed exile effects show up in decks. Yeah, I think, yeah, Stasis Snare is just going to be really important. Um Going down the list, I mean, Jace obviously not going anywhere anytime soon. We talked about that to great, great lengths uh, last cast. Uh, Richard mentioned this before. Den Protector and Deathmiss Raptor are still very, very good. Uh, Jamoka's Command making a huge rebound from when it was printed in that Clash Pack. Um, the same for Windswept Heath and all the fetches, actually, at this point. Uh, I think that's just... Uh, more towards uh, having fetch lands and standard is really important, regardless of what they are. You know, uh, every fetch can basically 
uh, curve or smooth out mana bases in this format. So uh, obviously the blue ones are still the the higher fetches to own, uh, but all of them are very important now. And really, Wooded Foothills is pretty close to catching up to Flooded Strand. It's like Wooded Foothills is 19, over nineteen dollars, and Flooded Strand is just barely over twenty. So some of the non-blue fetches are catching up to the blue fetches. Yeah. Uh, on the loser side, obviously, Seth mentioned uh, the event deck stuff is going down, and then just a bunch of origins and con stuff that just are not seeing play uh, in a big way. <laughs> Remember when everyone so. was so excited for See the Unwritten, and it just completely hasn't happened, like... Uh, it wasn't yep. that long ago that that was the hot card, Battle for Zendikar is coming out, and it spikes severely <laughs> based on this hype, and it's nowhere to be found. Yeah, um, we, we've we definitely had our share of CD Unwritten on this cast. Uh, <laughs> totally getting that. Oh, remember Days Undoing? So uh, I think uh, your near-bulk mythic is, uh, is uh, the self-fulfilling uh, prophecy right now. Yeah, it's... It's heading that direction. I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but I actually, this week on Moto, I ran into a deck that was trying to win with Sphinx's Tutelage, but it was also playing Days Undoing, which is like the biggest no-bo there is. Uh, so, so I think that it might see some play just because people don't understand how it works completely. I think that's the card's best chance is people to like accidentally put it in their deck because they think it's sweet with Sphinx's Tutelage, and then they play a couple games and realize what it actually does, and then they sell it and the card continues to to drop in value. Yeah, I'm waiting uh, for it to hit two bucks so I can buy it and play it in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, you could probably get them for close to that now if you really looked hard. Is it that low already? I'm, I'm waiting for the floor. When's the floor? When When is the bulk uh, floor for days of doing? <laughs> I mean, a buck. So I think uh, that'll be coming up here soon. You can get four copies of Days Undoing for under $12, Richard. So My plan Close. is just to force a will and misdirection my hand to nothing and Days Undoing to reset it. <laughs> it, will, it will totally work. <laughs> it will totally work. I don't know what you're going to be doing with all those cards, but uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds great. Um, did you want to jump around a little more, Seth, or is that basically it? Well, it's. I wanted to mention quickly before moving on that it's a little sad to see Starfield of Nyx and Demonic Pack. Those were two of the kind of breakout cards at the last Pro Tour. And like everyone expected, so many enchantments rotated with Theros Block that they just really don't have a place in the format anymore. Like, I'm not sure how you can play definitely Starfield and even Demonic Pact anymore, so they're trending down towards bulk mythic status as well. Yeah, I mean, the the format just is really a lot more aggressive than it was even then, uh, when Demonic Pact was kind of breaking out at the Pro Tour. Uh, you know, this is just not a very good card to be playing when you have Mantis Riders and the Tarka Red and all this stuff. I mean, it's just you're not, I mean, tapping out for four mana and playing this is just not really where you want to be right now. Um, I actually have the opposite reaction to you guys. I forgot about this card. And <laughs> I'm like, hey, four Deathmiss Raptors, four Denver Jackers, and four Demonic Packs? <laughs> Sounds like a deck to me. I actually want to kind of go back and start brewing with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I mean... Such value. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
if you can get this off the field, it's it's still good. I mean, it's it's not a bad card, but I just don't know. Maybe people aren't they don't really want to play it in that spot right now. But that could obviously change at the Pro Tour. So hopefully that happens. Um, as far as other things to jump around to quickly, the Battle for Zendikar cards in specific, really. Almost everything is trending down. Undergrowth Champion, Kiora, Ulamog, Obnix List, Drana, Sire of Signation, Ruinous Path. These are all down 20, 10, 20, 30% this week, and that will likely continue as the supply increases. The one surprising one for me is Dragon Master Outcast. I wasn't expecting this card to be playable in Standard, or at least as played as it is. And that is actually up 10% this week on the back of showing up in some decks. So did you guys think that, that Dragon Master Outcast was a legitimate standard card or just like a cool casual reprint? I mean, it looks cool and it seems not terrible. Like, you know, you play uh, Foundry Street Denizen and things like that. And sometimes they just do nothing and are one ones. So that's Dragon Master Outcast. Sometimes he just does nothing and he's just a one one. But if you can get him going... A 5-5 Dragon's pretty good, so uh, with things like Oblivion Sower and Landfall and all the ramp in the format, uh, it's not implausible, and we've seen people play this card, so maybe this is a breakout card of the Pro Tour. Who knows? I can definitely say I did not see this coming. <laughs> I, I really, uh, to much, I mean, basically a, a large chunk of the community pretty much saw this as like a really innocuous reprint you know, throw one to the casual crowd kind of thing. Uh, but no, this is uh, this is definitely trending upward, and it, it can be potentially powerful once it gets going, like Richard said. I mean, 5-5 five, five Dragons. I mean, if you get one, that's great. If you get more than one, I mean, I, I, you're probably winning that game. I mean, there's not a lot of things that people can do about 5-5 five, five Dragons uh, in this format, especially multiple. It's like Tassiger. You played on turn six as a one man of five five. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like that's basically what it is. It's like a huge tempo play late in the game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, especially great when you know off the top in a in a kind of draw go kind of scenario uh, off the top when they have no removal. If you slam this down, uh, it's basically turning the tide of the game. So, yeah. Uh, that about wraps it up for the finance uh, section. So we had some fish mail, and then um, we'll talk about a couple things on the way out, and that'll about wrap it up for the this episode. So let's get to the fish mail. Richard, what do we got? All right. From uh, at Run Thunder Snow, with Dark Confidant at a low of 37, do you think he can go up over time? And do you think he'll be in Modern Masters 2017? I have a foil Modern Masters 2015 version. Hmm. So, Richard, uh, Dark Confidant is your <laughs> your pet card, so what do you think? I think he's insanely underpriced right now. Um, you know, he he is up there in the cycle of best two drops of all time, right? So his peers are Snapcaster Mage, Stoneforge Mystic, uh... I don't know, Abbott of Carol Keith for the red one, I guess. <laughs> but uh, 37 is really low, and it's I think it's a metagame thing. So, you know, it's it's bad to be paying life right now. Uh, people are playing Tassiger over him, but I just can't see this not being a powerful card in Magic. I don't see them printing a better card than this. And I think in the right metagame, he will shine again. You know, drawing cards is always a good thing in Eternal Formats, so... 
I think he's insanely underpriced, and I don't know that they'll keep reprinting him, right? I think they they will claim success once he's hit 37, and they're not going to print him again for a while. So uh, I just feel he's really underpriced right now, and if you want bobs, like this could be the time to get them. So let me ask you a question. So now that the and, – and you did mention the metagame, and I think that's really a big part of it. It's just it's not as good as it used to be. Uh, in terms of how much it's getting played. With all the kind of Delve uh, hype kind of dying down, and we can see that basically it's down to Guramag Angular in in, uh, in Legacy uh, anyway, now that Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time are banned in both formats, this would be a good time for it to start rebounding, right? I mean, it, it's no better time than now. Yeah, for Legacy, definitely... Um... Bob kind of comes along for the ride. Like the the main card is probably him to Torak, uh, that that gets to come back in Thoughtseize. And since you're playing this anyway, you just play Bob as well. Uh, when those cards went away, you weren't really incentivized to play Bob. Like why pay, why play Black when the only Black card you can play is Bob, right? But now that you can play him to Torak, uh, Bob will come with you know come along with the rest of the cards. So I think Bob will see a resurgence in Legacy. Uh, in Modern, I'm not so sure. Uh, because Siege Rhino is still a pretty good yeah. card in Modern, you don't want to flip Siege Rhinos off of Dark Confidant, and uh, people are playing Tastiger instead of Dark Confidant, which, uh, you know, four or five body blocks Goyf most of the time. Uh, so Modern, I'm not so sure if he's going to get a boost, but Legacy, he'll definitely see more play, I think, once uh, the metagame adjusts to post-dig through time. Yeah, now, just while we're on the topic... Uh, we were going to talk about the modern IQ on the way out the door, but uh, the legacy IQ specifically for Atlanta, uh, Esper Deathblade uh, came in third. And I don't know if this is like a sign of things to come, but uh, Dark Confidant is definitely played in that deck list. So if Esper, Stoneblade, or Deathblade, or whatever you want to call it, starts becoming more and more popular, maybe that's the catalyst for Dark Confidant. Uh, continuing to rise at this point uh maybe like dark confidant's not played that much in Deathblade. It, it's kind of risky to flip force of wills and jaces right <laughs> dark confidant like the the, the one-off tomb stalker people play sometimes like it gets you um <clears throat> so uh you know people people try to get greedy and jamming bobs when they can and uh typically uh the blue decks have to be a bit cautious because they typically run four force of wills <laughs> So you don't want to flip a forcible with Bob. That's pretty much probably going to end the game right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like last week, I had a a good. I had two Bobs out, and my flips were Batter Skull, a Sword of Fire and Ice, Lingering Oof. Soul, Stoneforge Mystic, and I just like died <laughs> in like two turns. I'm like, wow. Yeah, so, that that'll. So you got to be careful. Uh, those those chances do happen, uh, and they do come up more often when you're playing Force of Will because you automatically have four of a five X. Uh, five converted mana cost card. Yeah. Uh, did you want to chime in anything to this, Seth? Yeah, I think one of the interesting points, and you guys kind of alluded to it a little bit, is they aren't going to print something better at Bob, than Bob at what Bob does, but they've printed these Delve cards, which are actually really bad for Bob, because Tassiker is really powerful, and even Gurmag Angler is showing up in Grixis lists and other uh, blacklists in Modern, and you would kind of have an either-or choice. You can't really play 
many Tassigers and Gurmag Anglers or any in the same deck with Bob. So it's possible that until the format really shifts, Bob is overshadowed, not because they printed something better than Bob, but because they printed really powerful cards that just don't synergize well with Bob. So I still think that he will have a time to shine again, and I can't imagine him getting much lower than where he is now. And as for the second part of the question, I agree. It seems unlikely. You can you can print a card in Modern Masters once, and it's exciting. You can print it a second time if it's still expensive, and people still want to open a Bob just because of the value. But I really don't think you can print it three times in a row before it just really loses its luster and people don't care so much about opening a $35 Bob anymore. It's just not exciting and not like conductive to selling the set. So I think it's unlikely to show up in the next Modern Masters. Uh, I would feel perfectly comfortable holding on to my copies. I just can't imagine them getting much lower than where they are now. Yeah, I agree. Yep, so I think that answers that question well. Uh, we had a little bit, we had other questions that we want to get to. So Richard, what do we got? Uh, at Tigerch, Tigerch. Uh, so I went to my local game store and the owner told me he went and bought out all the box stores of Battle for Zendikar fat packs. Uh, seems like a D-bag thing to do for owners. Now charging $60 a box. Ethical or business? Oh, <laughs> uh, so we talked about this last cast, got a, a couple of great comments. Uh, thank you, everyone, for the comments on that, too. Uh, got a little insight on some of the distribution things, but I'll let you guys answer first. So, Richard. Uh, I don't know that this is an either-or question of ethical or business. Clearly, right. it's a business move. Um. I, I, I don't know, like, businesses need to do what they need to do. This is perfectly, this is a perfectly valid thing to do, right? It's not illegal, mm-hmm. it's not shady, Wizards is not going to slap their hands or anything. Uh, I, I think the weirder thing is he actually, that they told players that they did this, right? If you're going to do something like this, usually it's hush, hush, and, like, keep it behind the scenes, but to yeah. kind of flamboyantly go out and tell everyone, hey, this is actually from Walmart, and I paid $40 for it. <laughs> Here, have it for 60 Seems a bit weird. Um, so. I'm I'm more offended by the fact that the owner decided to go and kind of boast and kind of rub it in people's faces. Uh, if they need to do this behind the scenes, I mean, it's fair game, right? It's no different than players hoarding, like, eight boxes. Uh, if a store wants to do that, I mean, I guess. But to kind of go around and rub it in people's faces seems a little awkward to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seth? Well, is it ethical? Yes. The guy didn't do anything wrong. Is it douchebaggy? Also a little bit, yeah. Like, I, if I found out that my store owner was doing that and upping the price in that way, I would be a little bit disappointed. But like Richard said, if I didn't know about it, uh, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. So if the store owner had just done this and didn't tell anyone, like, no harm, no foul. Uh, but because this is public knowledge, I don't blame any of the players at that store for viewing uh, the owner as a little bit of a douchebag uh, because of how he went about this. Yeah, I, I think the you two, both of you really nailed it. I, I think I have an issue with them kind of putting it out there and like boasting about it. I, I think that's where that kind of gets me. Obviously, it's business. Uh, it's not unethical. It's a free market. No one's stopping him for going in and doing it. It's not illegal. Uh, players can do it. Anyone could do it. So it, it's not really 
a problem. But yeah, I think I have an issue with it as a store owner going out and saying that you did that and then turning around saying, oh, well, I got these all from Walmart, so here you go, tacking on an extra $20. It's a little less of a thing like me me or you, or, or either of you, saying that we went and bought out fat packs from Walmart. I mean, no one really cares. Uh, it's not obvious. You're going to get a mixed reaction, but we don't own a business at the end of the day. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it would it should have just been behind closed doors. So, so what, what do we learn on the MTG Goldfish podcast? Do you want to do shady things? Do it behind closed doors. I mean, isn't that ELDR? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I mean, that's. I mean, that's really it. I. I yeah, I mean, again, like like Seth said, I don't blame anyone that goes to that local gaming store to kind of be a little peeved about that. But uh, yeah, Richard, with the uh, with the lesson for today's podcast. That's what, that's what we each of us individually basically said. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's not illegal. It's not like he can't, you know, any one person can't do it. So it's not really, yeah, no one's really going to well, do anything about it. Like, Wizard's not going to do anything about it. All right, uh, let me, I, I was listening to the radio this week, and they were doing an interview with Lauren Michaels from Saturday Night Live. And he was talking about some criticism they had like six months ago for not having enough minority cast members on their show. And he didn't think this was true. He thought the criticism was unfair and unfounded. But he said, I also felt like I had to deal with this because there was this perception out there that it was true. And in a lot of ways, the perception is more powerful than the reality or what he believed the reality to be. So that's why it matters whether or not the players know. Like Perception is a real big issue. And the way this store owner could have controlled the perception of his actions was just by not telling anyone. I'm not saying you should, uh, I don't know, try to skirt the system and do horrible things and not tell anyone. But when it comes down to it, running a business is about the perception people have of you. And it's worth it to do everything you can to protect that perception and keep it positive, even if you don't agree with the criticism so I think that's where the store owner went wrong, and I, I think that he uh, – I don't know who the store owner is, but if I was in his position or her position, I would want to take some sort of step to address that because you don't want the perception from your player base that you're a douchebag, even if it's completely unfounded and untrue. That perception is a really big deal and a bad thing uh, for your business if people are viewing you negatively. Yeah, you, you, make, you make a really good point, Seth, and I – to, to even add to that, I mean, this whole perception of the fat packs thing is basically where this is all coming from anyways, the perception that they're valuable and there's not a lot of them and everyone's on, on, on social media all over is, you know, when, when we have discussions about this, like, is the fat pa- are the fat packs even worth it? I mean, you even, you even tweeted out, and it's largely true. I mean, if you're spending $60 on a fat pack, you could pony up an extra – what, 30 bucks and just buy a box. I mean, at that point, but the perception is these fat packs, there's not a lot of them and there's an X amount more supply of boxes, but you know, and if it's a negative EV or plus EV, the lands are like 10 cents or whatever. Again, the perception is the lands are worth value. The fat packs are worth value. There's not a lot of them. So people need to buy them whether they're actually worth it or not. 
Yeah, I don't know about the situation at your local game stores, but at mine, you're starting to find the full art lands floating around, uh, draft leftovers and prize packs. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the first week, like, no, everyone like hoarded theirs like crazy, but now you're seeing piles of leftover cards with the random full art lands floating in. So I think people are starting to get their, you know, their full share of full art lands, and they're starting to throw them all over the place as well. So uh, the value of these are, are certainly starting to go down. So it's weird to me that the fat packs are still like highly sought after at this point. Yeah. Especially, well, I guess that's compounded by in standard, you only need like one basic land. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, once you got your one forest, plains, swamp and whatever, you're good. So <laughs> just pick the best art you want. If it's foil, great, whatever. And that's it. You're good. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that, that does it for fish mail. I think that's it, right? Yep, that's all the fish mail. Yeah, and, and fat packs for sure. Um, is there anything else we wanted to talk about on the way out? Well, uh, I think we wanted to briefly mention Modern, uh, the Premier yeah. IQ. And yeah, before, so- I know you want to say something, but first, Restore Balance always has a special place in my heart. <laughs> my very first budget magic I ever made was Restore Balance. Showed up in the top eight. 173 bucks was the cost of the deck when everything else in the top eight is 1800, 1300, 700. So shout out uh, to the restore balance player, putting up a big showing for the deck at the modern premier IQ this weekend. Yeah. And that's Albert Viscara. Uh, again, hopefully Wait. I pronounced your name right. Yeah. I, I tried to avoid that cause I was afraid I'd mess it up, but way to go Albert. <laughs> good, yeah, good job. I'll, with I'll, I'll take balance. it for you on this one. So. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, 88, 88 ticks. So isn't that like right around like where you were on that deck? Mine was a little less expensive. Mine was actually under fifty bucks in paper and like fifteen online. But oh wow, uh, this deck this deck is playing uh, Planeswalkers as a finisher, and uh, Planeswalkers work really well with Restore Balance or the original Balance. So that's adding a lot to the cost of the deck. But it's really similar to what I was playing at the time. Yeah, I mean it. It has been that kind of on the outside looking in, uh, kind of deckless, very fringe, but it is powerful. I mean, it could, well, I mean, obviously it did kind of do well in this tournament, so at any point it could kind of show up. One thing, like Storm, I w- really. yeah, yeah, one thing I really want to ask Elbert is he has, typically with Restore Balance, playing any cards other than Restore Balance that cost uh, less than three mana is a no-no because you always want to cascade into Restore Balance. But Elbert is playing two core Firewalker in the sideboard. So I don't know if he, I don't know how that works. If he is boarding out his restore balances for core Firewalkers, or if he literally is cascading into, is cascading into a core Firewalker good enough against a mono red deck. Like, is that part of like, eh, I could hit a restore balance, but I might hit a core Firewalker and that's just as good. <laughs> yeah, maybe I think it's actually that's the case, right? Core yeah, Firewalker so. is one of those cards that just shuts down a deck, right? It's, I, I cascade into it. <laughs> so that's yeah. that's pretty spi- pretty spicy that he has something other than restore balance that can be cascaded into because I would have never I would have never thought to do that. He's a madman, but apparently it paid off for him with the sixth play finish. Yeah, really did really well. I like that um, planeswalker sub theme, right? Uh, I don't see that too often. Why no, specifically definitely... those three? Is what I would um, want to ask him. 
Yeah, that's that is a good question. I mean, obviously they need to cost more than three so they don't get hit by or yeah, they need to cost more than two, I guess, so they don't get hit by restore balance. So Jace is out of the picture, basically. Um, I'm not sure why exactly those three, but what other options are there? I mean, you, what you want is a Planeswalker that is going to finish the game for you because you're going to resolve a Planeswalker, and then you're going to wipe away all the permanents on the board. So no one has lands, no one has a hand, and you want a Planeswalker that by itself will be able to win the game. And I guess Jace can do that by uh, ultimating and searching uh, for something from your library and your opponents. And Kiora can do that by creating uh, an endless amount of 9-9 tokens. Garuk Relentless is a little stranger. I'm not sure... I guess you can win the game eventually by making a whole bunch of uh, wolf tokens. But I think that's the idea, is you want Planeswalkers that can finish off the game uh, in a short amount of time once you wipe the board with Restore Balance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, another thing I wanted to, again, out the door, and I wanted to mention, so we have your Restore Balance uh, decklist, so (laughs) awesome for you, Seth. But this is the second week in a row that an Allies deck has shown up. they flipped the script, so it's definitely not Jeskai this time, but more uh, Naya-based, uh, with a couple of interesting things. Uh, hardened Scales, Collected Company, no really surprise there, but a two of Scouts Warning, too. And as far as the creatures go, we're seeing the kind of uh, normal creatures, Champion of the Parish, Hot of Freeblade, uh, Akum Battlesinger, but... Um, Again, a mirror entity and Abzan Falconer show up, but it's the Scout's warning and hardened scales that really raise my eyebrow, um, and obviously going Naya for collected company. So there's there could be something here. I mean, Allies two weeks in a row shows that it it is a deck list that can be made in modern, and it can do well. It can it can place well uh, with two different builds. So is this like a sign of things to come or either of these? I, I don't know if either of these are super optimal, but there's definitely something there. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, I mean, don't I, know. Well, <laughs> it looks weird. No? I, I've, I've never actually played against an Allies deck, but I'm like, why don't you just play Zoo or Merfolk or Affinity? Like, it just seems like this weird pile that people want to make work, but I don't know. Like, if you wanted to play a Cavern deck, or, uh, you know, if you wanted to play, you know, Naya, why why would you not play Zoo, right? Or why would you not play Merfolk? So the the cards look really weird. I think it's just like someone's pet deck, right? Like, I think people like allies and they just bring it and it's a decent deck, right? I think it's a decent deck because, you know, we're seeing it show up, but I don't know if we're going to get overrun by allies in modern. Seems... Seems weird. These cards just seem so janky individually. <laughs> I guess that's well, the that, appeal of allies. Yeah, that's right? the appeal, right? <laughs> For me, it's a lot like slivers. Like uh, that's that's what allies is to me. It's a deck that's powerful enough that if you know how to play it and you really enjoy it, you can take it to a tournament and win. Will it ever be the tier one best aggro deck in modern? Probably not. But it's fun and you get to play something different and it's showing repeatedly that you can be competitive with it. You can go to a big event in top eight with it. And to me, that's exactly the same thing as like a four or five color sliver deck. So that's the role I see for allies in modern at this point. I could be wrong. Maybe it's way better than I think, but that's, that's how I view it. Yeah. I think I'm going to lean towards what you said, Seth. I mean, 
like I, like I prefaced the question, I think there's something there, and I think it's viable. Is it going to be like the top tier aggro deck, or even be better than Merfolk or any other really good tribe? Maybe not. Uh, again, we have one more set of Zendikar blocks, so maybe they print a couple more good allies. Uh, kind of surprised I didn't see any of the uh, <laughs> any of the Battle for Zendikar allies. Uh, not even like the one mana two two. Forget that the name escapes me at the moment, but uh, or veteran war leader. So I don't know. Again, yeah, I think it's just a pet deck. It it, it can be viable. It, it's fun, and maybe it continues to show up. So <laughs> the yeah, this, the this point deck you made even use the land. <laughs> so maybe he just didn't yeah. get any battle presented. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting that you make that point because it shows how much new cards matter, even if they don't impact old decks. We've seen allies two weeks in a row, but they're not playing the new cards. But there's probably a good argument that because allies were printed, it got people thinking about allies again and searching gatherer to see what allies are out there. And all of a sudden we're seeing ally decks, even though none of the new cards are apparently good enough to make the list. So just the fact that allies were put in battle for Zendikar is probably partly responsible for this deck showing up in modern even though none of the cards are in the list. Yeah. And again, I think if you're making an allies deck, I think the core of the deck is really the champion of the parish, the hotter free blade and a coon battle singer. I mean, that's basically where you need to be. And, uh, yeah, I guess now once you have those three established, you could basically use any colors. Uh, obviously in two weeks we saw two different deck lists. So hopefully it's a good thing going forward that people are revisiting the tribe and maybe it's a lot better than we think. Hopefully anyway. I, I like allies. I think they're cool. I don't understand why people like allies. They're just they're just humans. And in Battle for Zendikar, every race. They're just basically every creature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like slivers, dragons, goblins, like, yeah, that's cool, but allies are just like people. It's like the people deck. Like yeah, all, will, all races. <laughs> Everybody. Well, I think the I think the allure is like what you said, Richard, is that they're all like individually kind of crappy. <laughs> so like they work together and that's like kind of the pull of the deck is that once you get rolling, like with X amount of allies, like they are actually really formidable and it can end a game pretty fast. Yeah. I I, I can see that appeal. I definitely want to play Nick Fit and Legacy just to beat people with standard staples. <laughs> so I can see the appeal of like playing these crappy creatures that like, ha, ah, I won. But they're actually really good. <laughs> so yeah. I will since we're talking allies just briefly, I've been playing some Battle for Zendikar Limited on Modo and PPV was exactly right. You have no idea what's an ally and what's not. Like my opponent will play a random board of creatures that care about ally synergies. Then they'll play a creature and I'll be like, oh, okay, that's fine. Then all of a sudden like 10 triggers will drop up and I'll be like, Oh, seriously? Like that's an ally. And I'll have to like click on it and expand it. And like, Oh, so, uh. <laughs> so it's, you just, you really don't, you don't know. Like it is so random. Like yeah. half the time I think it's an ally and it's not. Then the other half, it is an ally and they get blown out. Cause why the heck would this random vampire angel be a, <laughs> be an ally? Oh my yeah. god. 
Yeah, you yeah. You read the lore. Right? The official answer is you're an ally if you fought at the Gatewatch or whatever. If you fought at some battle, <laughs> you become an ally. But if you didn't fight at that battle, you're not an ally, even though you're protecting Zendikar. <laughs> but how do I know if they fought at that? What do I got to get a novel or something? And yeah, read, you got to like, read Uncharted Realms. You got to take your gameplay to the next level. You got to read the lore. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something so, we pointed out. Like, and uh, I think a few podcasts ago. Yeah, I, I, it's just you have no idea. They're like not accentuated like at all. Uh, and it, it was definitely like the the period, the punctuation on this that argument is that someone brought up like the aristocrats deck list, and you have the Zooport cutthroat right, which is not an ally, and. <laughs> Um, uh, I'm double checking. <laughs> Turns out he's an ally. <laughs> is he really? Uh, I, don't I don't think he is. He is he's an not. ally, actually. No, he, he is. is. Oh, yeah. well, you would have got blown out by a rally trigger. All allies have the rally. No, not ally. Not, and that's that's part of the confusion. And uh, so someone, so someone said like, oh, so why are they not playing this? Uh, there's another. What is it? You know better than uh, Calistria. Uh, Cal- yeah, Calastria Healer. Like, oh, why are they not playing this card in tandem with that? And I'm like, because like, there's literally four other allies in that deck. But you don't know that. Like, you have no idea. Like, what's even getting played? Like, what is an ally or what's not? So like, I just thought it was really funny. If there's no Calastria Healers. Like, wouldn't this be really good in like the rally decks? I mean, basically, Calastria Healer is like the only ally in the deck at that point. But then I realized. Zulport Cutthroat is an ally, so maybe it could work. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's they, so confusing. And they even just tag ally in at the very end of the name. It's not like, oh, creature ally. It's like vampire, cleric, and then at the end in the small print, it says ally. So you'd like, it's just, it's a mess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they did allies the way they did. Like, in, in the first set, all the allies felt like allies because they all had like slivers, they had a consistent ability, but in this set, it's all over the place. Some have rallies, some don't. Some, you have no idea why, I guess, other than the lore, which I'm not up on, they would even be an ally. Like, why is this random angel that gains life when it enters the battlefield an ally? So apparently <laughs> I need to, to get some novels and read up on Uncharted Realms to understand yeah. why things are allies. I think oh. the most, like, the biggest design fail, and I keep going back to this one, of, of the allies is the Nurkana Assassin. It's a vampire assassin ally. Has nothing to do with the rally or, like, just, it's just such a random ability. Like, whenever you gain life, Nurkana Assassin gains death touch until end of turn. But it's an ally. Makes no sense. Like, I have, like, and again, part of the confusion. They just all have random abilities, but they just tack ally on, like, just random stuff. So I don't know. All I know yeah. is that Zooport Cutthroat is the best card, uh, <laughs> and it just happens to be an ally, so I'll just keep saying that's the best ally. So That's the only one worth even, like, talking about. Uh, so, it it uh, doesn't show up in <laughs> the ally deck list, but it's okay. Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> I've, uh, I don't know. Um, all I do know is uh, I think we covered everything, and uh, I, I think uh, this is a good point to uh, end the podcast, so... Again, gentlemen, another great cast, and we will do this uh, again next week. So uh, Pro Tour will happen, and you'll get our thoughts on that. Hopefully uh, it's not just a Tarka Red versus uh, Jess Guy and Green White Megamorph, but who knows. Uh, So we'll do this next time.